We've got Bibles, some over here. Yeah, those are New Testaments, so those should be good. Um, so if you don't have one, just no shame, go grab a Bible. Um, we're going to be in James. I think, get the ones on the top shelf there, Aaron. Yeah, those ones, because that's the, that's the ESV. That's what we'll be using. All right. Awesome. So we're going to do James uh, this year, or this summer, I mean, and excited to do it. And so first thing I want to do um, is, well, let's find James, okay? James is at the back, if you don't know where James is. It's at the very back, very close to the back. Uh, if you are in Revelation, you're too far, too far. It's after Hebrews. If you look at my Bible, it's got about, it's about that far in. There's a lot on the left side, not much on the right side. Before Peter, 1 Peter, before 2 Peter. Okay. You can take a look at it. It's a short little book. You can just see it's one, two, three, four, five chapters, just probably four pages or so, or five pages in your Bible. But it's chocked full of uh, good, wise advice on life. Um, and that's what we're going to be studying this summer. And so before we do that, I'm going to ask this question. What does your Christianity, if you consider yourself a Christian, what does your Christianity make you do? What does it make you do? What do you do because you're a Christian? How would you answer that question? Thoughts. Notice I'm emphasizing the word do. What do you do because you're a Christian? Lots of, lots of correct answers on this one. I'm just going to say that. Yes? Uh, we live out Jesus' teachings. Okay, we live out Jesus' teachings, yeah. Uh, we share the gospel. We share the gospel with other people. Great. What else? What do we do because we're Christians? Yeah, Kyla. We get baptized. We get baptized. That's right. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, people. Yeah, we disciple other people. We bring up other people, or we get discipled by other people. I didn't know which way you were going with it. Either one works. Good job. <laughs> Throw something out, guys. We can do this. What else do we do because we're Christians? We go to church. We read our Bibles. Anything else come to mind? Yeah? Love and care for people around us. All right, so everything that we've just mentioned is an action, right? Like, you have to get out of bed to do Almost all those things. You could read your Bible in bed. Okay? You have to open your eyes to do it, though. Yeah? Uh, you can pray. You can pray? Yep. You show faith to God. Yeah, you show your faith to God, right? And I like that word show because it means that you're doing something. Your faith does makes you do something, right? So Christianity is a faith that does something. It makes us do something. And so I want us to get just a quick taste of James, because James is all about doing. So let's just look at a couple of verses here. I'm going to have volunteers read them out for us, um, just to get kind of an overview, just a taste and the flavor of James, okay? So Ryan, can you read James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? Okay, so count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Good. Um, Alec, 1, 19, and 20. Now, yeah, 
In 20. Okay, so be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay? Um, Drew, can you read 1, 26 and 27? Okay, so you hear some doing stuff in there, right? Like bridle your tongue, um, visit the orphans, the widows, keep oneself unstained from the word. How about world uh, 2, 14 through 16? Dave, you want to read that one? 2, 14 through 16. Okay, so faith also uh, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, right? What a question, right? Verse 14, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a huge question that we need to answer, right? Can faith without works save you? Can you go by someone who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and just say, go in peace and be warm and filled? Have we ever passed by someone who is poorly clothed and lacking food? I have. What do you do when that happens? What are you supposed to do as a Christian? How about chapter 3, verse 2? Chapter 3, verse 2. Nathan, you want to read that one? Okay, so if you don't stumble in what you say, you're a perfect man. Any of you perfect? Any of you com- able to completely control your tongue? All right, so a lot of stuff about the tongue here. How about chapter 5, verse 9, Colin? Chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Oh, man, that doesn't have any application in here, does it? Don't grumble against one another. Nobody struggles with that. Okay, 5 9, 5 19 through 20. Evan, you got this one? Last two verses. Awesome. Okay, so do you guys just see like James is hitting all sorts of topics, isn't he? It's kind of all over the place, but all of them have to do with what you're doing, right? Are you doing what the Christian faith wants you or is, is about, okay? Are you doing what you need to do, okay? So here's our sermon slide um, for this series. We're just saying James and we're calling it faith that works, faith that works. And it's kind of got a double meaning to it, faith that works, okay? On the one hand, it means faith that does something. James is all about faith that does something that works, it's active, it's doing something. It isn't just about you believing something in a classroom. It's that when you leave the classroom or you leave the church, your life looks different because of your faith. Okay, so it's 
faith that works, it does something. But he's also talking about faith that works. And in other sense, faith that saves you. Okay, because there apparently is some form of faith that people claim to have that he just said, if you guys read that, it, uh, this person's religion is worthless. If they don't bridle their tongue, they deceive their heart, their religion is worthless. So, so there's this type of religion or faith that you can have that doesn't work, that's worthless. And so James is wanting us to have the kind of faith that works, the kind of faith that saves you. Okay, so um, you can think of an analogy about a boat, right? A, a boat that doesn't work, that has holes in it, isn't going to save you out in a storm, is it? Okay, so James wants us to have faith that works, that saves you. Well, why are we in the youth group study in James? Okay, um, because it's in the Bible, because if we didn't know what James had to say, we'd miss something. And a lot of people like to pit James with Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, and, and Paul wrote things like, um, we're saved by grace alone, all right, through faith. And so, but then James says we're saved by faith that does works, right? And so what are we supposed to do? Well, I think we miss something if we don't have both of those. And so we want to know what James contributes to this. Um, another reason I think it's important is because one of the things I've heard in this youth group as we've done life together, and we've gone on retreats together, is the common theme of wondering if your faith is real. Wondering if, you know, am I really a Christian? And, and having doubts. Am I really saved? And I think that this book is really powerful if you have those doubts um, because it helps you to see that your faith is real by doing what faith does. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that a person who has strong faith is a person who knows a lot. You guys ever had that feeling? Like the professor, the pastor, the one who's in the classroom and in the office reading lots of big books they're the ones who have really strong faith. But we see from Scripture that that's not true. You just look at Jesus' life, right? Who is Jesus continually condemning? The Pharisees. And what did they know? Well, they knew a lot. These guys had memorized huge portions of the Old Testament. They knew their theology, and yet they didn't have strong faith in Jesus. And Jesus praises a childlike faith. And he praises the faith of, of poor and uneducated peasants who probably couldn't read. They just saw Jesus. They saw what he was doing. And they said, I want to follow that guy. So we need to get away from the thought that the more I know, the stronger my faith will be. The reality is, the more I do, the stronger my faith will be. The more I put my faith into action, the stronger it will be. You can think about a muscle, right? If you sat and read your biology textbook about muscles for hours and hours and hours, it wouldn't make your muscles any stronger. But if you got out and you used those muscles and you worked with them, well, then they would get a lot stronger. Okay? That's what I want us to see from James, that James um, is able to do that, and that that's his goal for us. Another thing that's on my heart with this message and this, this series is that many youth leave the church when they graduate. Many youth, I mean, they leave the church before they graduate. Okay, they stop coming their junior, their senior year, or they go to college, and now they're out of their parents' house, they're like, I'm, I'm kind of done with being a Christian. That's just like my parents' thing. That's not my thing. And some of you, 
you know, I hope that you worry about that and you think, how can I prevent that? I hope that in your heart you're thinking, I don't want that to happen. If that's not where your heart is at, then you're already on the other side of it. You've already kind of decided that it's, you're beyond it. And I would encourage you to come back and realize that you need this faith to save you. But if you do worry about it and that question of, I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to be one of those numbers of youth that leaves the faith when they go to college. How can I prevent that? I would say it's not by knowing all the answers. It's by putting your faith into practice now. It's not waiting until I go to school to start living a Christian life. It's living a Christian life in my neighborhood, in the grocery store, at the swimming pool, at my school, wherever it is, putting what we learn here today into practice now. Another analogy you might think of is like an airplane, right? Um, Think about someone who knows a ton about an airplane. They've studied airplanes their whole life. They've got uh, blueprints of airplanes, diagrams. They know how the wings work and the engines work. And someone comes along and they say, you know, I don't think you've taken into account the uh, friction of the air resistance and the jet stream and this thing. I don't think that thing's going to fly. Now, all you've ever done is sit and studied airplanes. You might sit back and go, oh my goodness, what if he's right? What if he's right? I I don't know. I haven't accounted for the uh, airstream and the friction and all this. I don't know if this airplane's really going to fly. That's how a lot of people end up at college, right? They they sit in a in a church for years, and they they know the answers, catechism, Jesus. You know, it sounds like a squirrel. The answer is Jesus, though. If you guys heard that joke before, um, but and then they get to college, and a college professor says, "God isn't real," and here's why. And they go, <gasps> "I never thought of that. Oh no, everything's crumbling underneath my faith. I don't know what I can believe. Is it real?" But then think about someone who has built an airplane, and they've flown it many times. And yeah, it didn't fly great every single time, and, and they figured out some of the kinks in it, and they would take it back to their shop, and they'd work on it here and there, and they'd, then they'd fly it to the next city and fly it around. And someone came up to them and said, well, have you considered the uh, friction and the, uh, you know, the ratio to this to that? You know, I don't think that thing's going to fly. They'd say, you're an idiot. I've flown it everywhere. Of course it flies, right? That's what I hope your faith is like. I hope your faith is when, when, when you go into college and someone says, well, have you thought about this and this and this and this? You say, well, no, not every single one of those things. But what I do know is I've put this faith into practice and it works. Okay? So that's what I hope that James does for us as we study it. I hope we, we move our faith out of just being a head faith and putting it into practice. And so our goal is to become Christians whose faith makes us do something. I hope that as you read verses in James about anger and about the tongue and about taking care of orphans and widows and the poor, you go home and it keeps you up at night. And you think, my life doesn't look like that. Something needs to change. And if you go home and you aren't kept up at night by James, there's probably something wrong. You need to read this with an eye that says, how do I get my life in line with this and not assume that your life is already in line with this because you've been going to church for 12 years? It's not. Mine isn't. Okay? So we got to do this together. I hope that you come to me at some point and say, Pastor Nick, Nick, Mr. Connor, whatever you want to call me, dude, duders, um, please help me to put this into practice. Like, is there, I think there's people in my neighborhood who I know are poor 
and, and James says that we should take care of the poor, what do we need to do so we can do this? And I hope that over the course of the summer and over the next year, we start to realize that we can't just live the same way that we have up to this point because James doesn't let us. We need to live differently if we're going to be genuine Christians and have faith that works. So that is kind of the precursor to where we're going. I'm going to read James chapter 1, verse 1, which is our text for today. Okay. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Groundbreaking stuff here, guys. Um, we're going to go quickly through verse 1. I'm really just doing the intro to our time. Um, but who wrote the letter? Pretty easy one. James. James wrote the letter, right? Now, not many people say, you know, James, and then they write a letter. You usually need a little more context, like James who, what's going on here, unless you're kind of a big deal. So, for example, you know, if you got a letter from Donald at the White House, you wouldn't need a last name. Like, Donald who? I don't, you know, I don't get this. Don, which, which Donald lives at? You'd pretty much know Donald Trump, White House. I, I think I can put two and two together. That's who we're talking about, right? There was one person who could write a letter from Jerusalem, and it, when, when a church would get a letter from James, and it was from Jerusalem, they'd know who they were getting a letter from. And that was James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, and so this is written most likely by James, the brother of Jesus. We don't think that there's another James, there's the Apostle James, one of the 12 disciples. We don't think it's that James. We think it's James, the brother of Jesus. And what's interesting about James, the brother of Jesus, is we know a couple things about James throughout the New Testament. Let's look at a couple of them up on the screen here. Mark 6 just says, you know, this is people talking about Jesus. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So all that is saying is that this guy, James, is attested to be one of Jesus' brothers. Now, more accurately, we would say he's what? His half-brother, right? Because they share a mom, but not a dad. Jesus' dad is God. Their dad is Joseph, okay? But they're half-brothers, half-siblings with Jesus, Okay? And then we get to John 7, 5, and we read this. For not even his brothers believed in him. So it's pretty clear that Jesus' brothers, they, they didn't think he was the Messiah. They didn't think he was anything all that special. We can read this in Mark chapter 3. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So people are swarming around Jesus. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. That's, that's what Jesus' brothers thought about him. They thought he was kind of crazy and loopy, and they were a little bit embarrassed for him to be in their family. Right? And so it's a little bit interesting when we get to James 1.1, and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something's happened, right? Something has changed for James in that he has gone from not believing in Jesus to calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we read in Acts that when they had all gathered in the upper room, this is after Jesus' resurrection, that they went to the upper room and they were saying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, these are all disciples, 
And all of these were, uh, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, uh, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we see that something's changed, and Jesus' brothers and family have joined the disciples and are praying, seeking Jesus as their Lord. So it's really interesting that James is all about doing and changing because you're a Christian, and we see that James has changed in his lifetime. In his lifetime, he's gone from not believing in Jesus to being changed to one who considers himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's how we ought to see ourselves, servants of God and of Jesus Christ. James's faith changed him. It made him do something different, and he writes a letter exhorting us to be changed and to do something different with our lives if we are Christians. It's written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And that's kind of an interesting thing to say. 12 tribes, what does that remind you of? Jake's kids. Jake's kids. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Jake's kids, right? The, the tribes of Israel. Okay, this is the nation of Israel was known as the 12 tribes. Is James writing to, you know, a bunch of national Jews? He's writing to Christians, to Jewish Christians. And yet James says that you guys are the 12 tribes. So James had this idea that the 12 tribes were Christians, that if you wanted to be a true Israelite, you followed Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. And it says, in the dispersion, which means outside of Palestine. I'm writing to all those who have left Palestine, are outside of the country of Israel, and are in the dispersion. They've been dispersed all over the world. Okay? Why was there a dispersion? Well, the answer is because persecution. James and all Christians came under great persecution for following Jesus Christ, and they had to flee the country that they had called home. And so life had changed for them because they followed Jesus. And now James is writing them a letter saying, here's how to live a Christian life, a faith that works, that, that matches um, your belief and, and serves you as you go out into the world and are spread out for Jesus' sake. So that's really simple. That's just kind of our kickoff to the, the series. And so I want to end by encouraging us to do two things as we study the book of James this summer. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to consider memorizing something in here as we go along. A memorization is not something I've emphasized a lot in, in our time here, and that's not good. It's something that I should emphasize more. We hit it hard in Awana up to fifth grade, and then... Like, I just didn't, haven't talked about it, and that's not okay. It's, it's something that I struggle personally with. I'm not great at it, but I want to get better. Um, and so I want to challenge us to memorize something in James this summer. So if you're like, want to start at chapter 1, verse 1, great. Just start memorizing verse 1 and go to 2 after that, and you know where to go from there. If you are more prone to thinking, like, I'd like to read James and pick out a few key verses that I really want to go deep in my heart this summer, that's great too. Pick four, five verses, write them on a little card, flip through those cards every morning. But my encouragement to you would be just to do 10 minutes a day of memorization. 10 minutes a day where you review what, you, what you're memorizing, you just kind of say it in your head, and then on Sunday mornings when we come in here, I'll go ahead and give the opportunity. Has anybody memorized anything? And, and we'll kind of have fun with it and just share, you know, here's how far I've made it. And if it's three verses, if it's three words, if it's three chapters, praise God, we're happy for you. It's not a competition. There are no Awana prizes. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> but we hope that you do it, okay? And the last thing I want to do is, is to pray, to end here by praying, because what did we study in our catechism? Who do we need to help us to do things that the Christian life calls? We need the Holy Spirit, right? You can't do any of this. You can't do this on your own power. And so it would be silly for us to rev up our engines to, to journey through James and forget to put gas in the tank, wouldn't it? That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So I want to end today just by praying for us that, that this would be a really fruitful study for us this summer. And I know that you guys are going to travel. You're going to miss Sundays. You're going to miss Wednesdays. That's okay. I hope it's a small book. I hope you read it this summer as you do your own devotions. And, and you just like sit in it and focus on it for a while and think about it. So let's pray the Holy Spirit would do that in our hearts and then we're going to get going. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that um, your resurrection and your teaching and your life was enough to overcome your own half-brother's doubt. That he doubted his life, uh, through his life, that you were who you said you were. And yet we can only see from this letter that when you rose from the grave and declared who you were by power over death, that he had no other choice but to believe in you. That you gave him a faith that works, that changed him, that made him live and be a different person. And I pray that for this group. Holy Spirit, would you come into our midst? Would you empower us to read your word with new eyes and to see what it says and to be convicted of our hearts that have not done what you say we should do and to ask the hard question of what do I need to change? How do I need to live so that I can be a Christian who has faith that works? And I pray at the end of this summer we would look back on it with just deep gratitude and thankfulness that you have been the fuel in our tanks to take us further down the journey than we were before the summer started, preparing us for a new school year, um, a new, new year of life, uh, knowing more faithfully, more solidly that we have a God who changes us, who has the power to change us and the power to save us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.